Welcome to the Commercial Disco, a voyage of commercial discovery. The only show dedicated to exploring the commercialization of great ideas and research across deep tech and science, driven by the ambition of the people that make up Australia's unique innovation landscape. We talk to the greatest minds about what is influencing their work and their insights into the ingredients needed to bring great Australian innovation to life. Welcome to the Commercial Disco Podcast. My name is Corey McLeod. I'm the publisher of innovationoz.com. Today we're doing something a little bit different. James Riley has been in Paris this week and I've decided that it might be a good idea to actually interview him about what he's been up to and tell us a little bit about his experiences in France. James, welcome to your own podcast. What have you been up to this week? Yes, thank you very much. So I'm in Paris right now, which is obviously a very beautiful City, first time I've been here, so I appreciate the opportunity. I'm here as a guest of the French Foreign Ministry. They've brought a group of Asia-Pacific journalists over to Paris for meetings with kind of a a mix of high-level government people across various departments, trade, finance, and the Foreign Ministry, obviously, as well as the leadership of a bunch of kind of innovation districts to talk about the big picture themes around the Indo-Pacific, around cooperation, and how these macro forces that are shaping the world right now from COVID to, you know, geostrategic competition are having an impact and how that's playing out. You mentioned two words there, the Indo-Pacific and collaboration. The elephant in the room right now will be a discussion about subs. I'm guessing that that would be a question that you've asked. Just key to sort of get the the sense of what sort of responses you were getting. Where is France at when we're talking about industry development, emerging technologies, collaboration and submarines? Well, I got to say, I think there were two elephants in the room as an Australian. One was a gigantic submarine of the past that uh, was never built and won't be built that the French were obviously going to do with the Australians. And the other is China. China wasn't spoken about specifically much, but always a presence. Interesting also, the journalists who were there, there were two from Australia, there were two from Japan, two from Korea, and one from India. So you're literally covering the Indo-Pacific and also covering three legs of the quad. So in relation to the submarines, I guess as a general statement, right? I mean, that that is referred to as ancient history here, although whatever hard feelings were created by the previous government kind of nixing that deal and in favour of setting up this AUKUS arrangement, it's not forgotten. And although Anthony Albanese has met the French President Emmanuel Macron, and there's been more recently a two plus two dialogue, which is the two defence ministers and the two foreign ministers, the feeling is it's very much at the ground floor of a relationship reset. And it's probably fair enough, like the French and Australia have a huge amount of common interest. I mean, quite apart from being, you know, Western liberal democracies and having that democratic tradition that we share and and similar shared values in specific economic interests, the Pacific looms large, obviously, for Australia, but also looms large for France. It has territories in the Pacific, has very large areas of economic interest in the Pacific, and they would like to cooperate, as they already are cooperating, but they would like a deep and lasting relationship I think the disappointment with the submarines really was around a huge amount of work had gone in by both countries. 
But certainly the French saw that as the absolute foundation of a multi-decade relationship. And it was of such strategic, high-level importance and so much trust imbued in that particular relationship on subs, you know, meant that they were going to pin a whole bunch of other work on top of that, just as AUKUS is in relation to Pillar 2. That's a good place to talk about your broader defence in terms of the way that what you might have learnt in France, but also critical and emerging technologies, and nuclear would be one of those, and then the broader ecosystem in terms of what you've learnt in France about the way that they're approaching defence. Well, I guess on the submarines and AUKUS, pretty much every meeting I was in, I mean, I would have to ask about the submarines and I would have to ask, you know, from our perspective at innovationoz.com, our interest really was around some of the adjacent technologies that were going to go along with the submarine program and now AUKUS. So in AUKUS, that would be pillar two technology cooperation around quantum artificial intelligence and all that good stuff. So as I say, I think there was a Breach of trust, certainly the French viewed the submarine deal falling over as a breach of trust, so they're building that back up. They got kind of mixed responses to whether or not there would be the ability to cooperate at a deep level on some of the Pillar 2 initiatives. It's hard to say. Like There is a sense that no way, not happening via the European Union. We've got our own way of doing things. We're not kind of going to try and get involved in a, a British US-Australian alliance on this stuff. They will pursue their own tech. So I don't know. We'll see how that pans out. Obviously, the relationship is at the ground floor in terms of the rebuild. On the nuclear side, there is a nuclear debate going on in Europe right now. It's not settled. France, the French, are huge owner, operator, designer, builders of nuclear power systems, and they've made nuclear power a strategic priority. I mean, they're not in this in a small way. They're kind of, wouldn't say all in, but they're a long way in on nuclear. I think the uh, EDS, the electricity company, effectively, they own or operate 60-plus nuclear power stations. I think 56 of them are in France. There's a few elsewhere. They've got active contracts to build new nuclear plants elsewhere. And I think nuclear accounts for well over 70% of France's energy needs. It's a massive player in the market, so it's obviously completely different from what we see in Australia. But even in the European Union, the Germans have, as recently as this week, started decommissioning their nuclear power plants. They're going the other way. They're looking at other forms of renewables to help them meet their targets. I think it is an active debate. It's one that Australia probably will have in the coming years, just in terms of meeting our emissions commitments and doing it in a timely fashion. It's a race to get that done. Just as an aside to that, that debate will happen. I'm sure it will. I I had a call this morning from an Australian physicist who is going to contribute something to our capability papers project, who is setting out an argument about why that debate should happen and that shouldn't be written off. People need to be open-minded enough to talk about nuclear so anyway, I will in the coming weeks do a bit of a, um, a wrap-up on what's happening in Europe with nuclear just because it's fascinating. I think of the European states, 14 or 15 rely on nuclear power for electricity, which is you know getting up to half the member states and the other half don't. I'm going to just finish up with one more question. Strategic independence. It kind of ties back to stuff you were talking about, elephants in the room, right at the beginning. Obviously, President Macron's made some comments about strategic independence, and there seems to be some ruffled feathers about what that means. 
looking at that as a phrase from being actually on the ground in, in France, what are your observations? Well, I mean, I was here at an interesting time. Like Emmanuel Macron has much to the displeasure of parts of the West visited in China with uh, Xi Jinping. He made some comments about European strategic autonomy and very specifically French strategic autonomy and made some comments in relation particularly to Taiwan. Some commentators saw this as a kind of a, you know, what looked as the thin end of the wedge between, you know, the US and, and Europe or the US and NATO or the US and France. I think that's a bit of a, a long bow. It's certainly a, a glass half empty. Strategic autonomy is an interesting concept and it's one that's been around for a while. And certainly in terms of defense industries, since the early 2010s, this term has been used around building sovereign capability into defense and defense supply chains. I mean, of course, you need to be able to defend your own borders and to have the technological capability to do that. I don't think the French in those terms have done anything different. This is what we have done in Australia. Australian Department of Defence and building defence capability has built into it an industrial development component in a way that the commercial sectors have not, perhaps until more recently. So I think what's happened is this idea of strategic autonomy is well known and appreciated across the defence world. I think since COVID and everyone got a wake-up call around supply chains, and how much damage can be done to an economy when strategic materials or strategic inputs into production are cut up. So now we have this strategic autonomy, which has been extended into different realms. I don't see this as much different from Australia. Australia has a national reconstruction fund, 15 billion Australian dollars, which is not nothing. The French have a France 2030 reindustrialization program, 54 billion euro, which is looking at exactly the same thing, looking at the strategic industries that they rely on for their economic well-being, and they're looking a little bit more inwardly. Protectionist is a loaded term, but everyone is looking to build their own capability. I just, as an aside, I would say this is no different also on the commercial side than the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. And to be honest, it seems to be very much a sore point in Europe, that IRA legislation in the US, which is effectively subsidizing the rebuild of US capability and US industry. I think there's, in terms of geopolitical positioning, there are three key elements that the French are pressing, which is strategic autonomy, reciprocity of markets, and strong partnerships with our allies. Now, there's a lot of gray areas in each of those ambitions or each of those kind of doctrines, if you like. And it's something that as the Europe and the US and China and Russia are all grinding up against each other, those are kind of the three pillars that are being ground against. James, final observations to take it out of the, <laughs> David Spears. Final observations, big week. You've met with lots and lots of people, a very short snappy, anything else that we haven't talked about that is really worth discussing? There's a couple of things. I certainly want to follow up with an article on the, I don't know how to pronounce this, but the Paris-Saclay Innovation District. It's a multi-year massive program. I guess, you know, you might compare it to something like Tech Central in Sydney, given the academic institutions that are captured in that small space. The thing when you come away on trips like this, we always say Australia punches above its weight and all this kind of stuff. And we've got some tremendous programs. We've got some great advantages in the things that we do down here. But always the impression that you walk away with in terms of innovation ecosystem is simply scale. 
the scale of the money that can be applied to things, the scale of the partnerships, the size of the corporations and the scale of their input into these innovation ecosystems is really quite something. So the Paris Clay innovation community, it's focused on deep tech. I won't go through the, the partnerships, but it's incredible. And the investment from government isn't around, you know, here's a grant for this project and a massive grant for that project. It's more in terms of we need this community to be within half an hour of central Paris. So they're building an underground outsource. So, and that's a multi, you know, that's a billion euro kind of investment. Okay, well, I'm going to leave it there. I've also, uh, I visited with Station F, Startup Hub, massive, incredible, very corporatized, but uh, very interesting. And uh, we'll be writing about it in the days and weeks to come. James, it's great to talk to you and get like the fresh assessment of what's been an incredibly busy week, I have no doubt. Thank you so much. We're looking forward to having you home safe and sound. Thank you. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Commercial Disco Podcast. Please like, subscribe and leave a five-star review wherever you heard us. And please visit our website, innovationoz.com, to check out our reporting on tech, innovation and public policy. You can also follow us on social media to ask us any questions or to suggest a guest for the show. Until next time, this is the Commercial Disco wishing you a great week ahead.